another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spirko with another episode of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing economic times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. And dictated, as always, on my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, with my uh, from my personal mobile studio, which is a 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI. I uh, really love this little car, and uh, it is my base of operations during the 30 to 40 minutes a day that we get to spend together, talking about what's going on in the world and how you can uh, position your life and prepare for life's unexpected events. For those of you who may not heard the show before, we focus on a wide variety of things. We'll talk some days about very basic things like how to store food uh, for unforeseen events coming up, how to have emergency evacuation plans and things like that. We'll turn around a couple days later, we'll do a show on guns, uh, maybe selecting a firearm for a specific application or uh, using firearms to defend your home in the event of an invasion of some sort uh, of your domicile. Uh, We'll go from there and we'll talk about the economy and uh, what's going on out there and what we need to be aware of. And then the next day we'll talk about real estate maybe and uh, how you can find that dream country home. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. I guess my point there is I know that unlike the very beginning of the show where I had a core of a a few dozen listeners and I was getting one or two new listeners a day, uh, I'm getting lots of new listeners every day now as my show is being spread, primarily by my listeners. And uh, so I know new people are coming in listening to the show for the first time. So my point there is if you hear a show today or any other day and go, that's really not what I'm looking for, come on back and and listen to some shows in the future. We keep this variety approach out there and go through our archives at thesurvivalpodcast.com, listen to my older shows, be aware that once you get about 25 episodes back, uh, back into the 50 range uh, at least, uh, you're going to find that the auto quality is going to decline because uh, I've been making modifications and adjustments as I've gone forward. Uh, so, you know, just uh, just know again that if this isn't your show, if you're not really looking to buy real estate anytime soon, doesn't matter. Uh, you'll be able to find out anything that you want to know about survivalism, uh, specifically modern survivalism, and, and not the tinfoil hat stuff if you keep tuning back in. Before I go into today's subject, I want to talk a little bit about yesterday. Yesterday we ran the Listener Appreciation Contest. For anybody that's not entered, you really should enter the Listener Appreciation Contest and help tell other people about my show. It's very simple. You fill out one form with your name and your email. Uh, I do not email that list for any purpose other than occasionally to say, hey, hey heads up, guys, uh, there's a show out today uh, that's going to have a prize opportunity in it. Yesterday, I didn't email them. I made it a level playing field. Uh, people could listen and join right away and then enter. Um, and I also, because people said, hey, you know, it's late in the day, and we don't, you know, I don't get to listen to late in the day or in the evening, and I don't get a chance to win. So I gave away four tactical Christmas stockings from SOE Tactical Gear yesterday. Um, At least I tried. I didn't get 
40 entries as of this morning. I still have one more to give away. So I will reiterate the instructions for winning from yesterday's show today. Send you First of all, you must be entered in the contest. If you've not entered the contest, you'll need to enter the contest first. Then you need to send me an email at jack at the survival podcast podcast.com. Again, jack at the survival podcast.com. In the subject line, you need to include the name of the sponsor of today's giveaway, or actually yesterday's giveaway, which is SOE Tactical Gear. Those are three words with SOE all in capitals. If it's not that way, I'll disqualify it. We did get 40 entries yesterday, just they weren't all valid entries. People put the wrong subject line. SOE Tactical Gear with a capital S-O-N-E, a capital T for tactical, and a capital G for gear. Uh, send that to me. One more of these stockings are a $25 value is yet to be given away. And uh, so, you know, take a shot at it because there is one more out there. And I'll tell you, it's going to take about four entries today to get up to 40. At the end of the day, uh, I'll have those that last one, and we'll be sending those four out. So it'll be eight of those that uh, that uh, John Willis over at SOE Tactical Gears donated to and uh, given out already, which is two hundred dollars worth of merchandise, folks. So he's a good sponsor. So uh, you know, check out his website. I link to it for every show where I mention him, and uh, see if there's any gear over there that you could use. Uh, it's some of the best stuff in the world, and uh, law enforcement organizations all over the country use it. So if it's good enough for our uh, boys in blue, it's good enough for us too. All right, on with the show. Uh, today I want to talk to you a little bit about the opportunity that's beginning to form out there. And I say beginning to form because I want to get your psychology right from the beginning. And that is the purchase of real estate that is either soon to go into or already in foreclosure. There are more foreclosures today than there really ever have been in the history of the United States. And banks are sitting on these properties. And there's some government relief being offered. But it's not in the form that we originally thought, which was uh, the banks are going to go in and buy the bad mortgages. The mortgages are still sitting out there. And even if the banks are getting money in the form of investment from the government into their stock uh, and able to use that to defer bills and costs, if they're holding a foreclosed property, they have the same problem that they've always had. And that is that it is a piece of property that they have debt against with no income against. That property generally has debt to a county, a state, and a city as well. Uh, And the city or state, if not paid, can actually go in and seize the property, even from the bank. Hence, that means that sitting on property with nobody paying you against it as a bank is a losing proposition. You're going negative every day on that property. And when you have tens of thousands of properties that you're going negative, uh, as the old saying goes, it starts to add up to real money. All right. So what these banks are looking to do now is get this stuff off their books as quickly as possible. That's your opportunity. And what that means is they're willing sometimes to part with the asset even for less than it's owed on, okay, less than money that's owed against it. So your job is to find the right property that you can turn into what you want 
and then to make an offer that's below even today's market value and see if it, get, it gets taken. Now, I'm going to talk quite a bit about different ways that you can find properties, different things to look for in a property, not just from the financial aspects, but as a survival property. We've talked about this before. I'll talk about it again. It always seems to go over well when I do it. And again, we do have new listeners coming on all the time. Uh, but the, the, the key message today, and you can get all of it right from this statement, you must be willing to walk away from any deal. And if you're not, don't make an offer. And that might sound crazy, but this is this is what I mean by that. Right now, the talking heads are talking about how we've bottomed out, and this might be the end of it, and we don't know how long we're going to stay here, but this is probably about as bad as it's going to get, and, and that type of thing. All right? Well... I don't believe that, and I don't think you should believe that either. We're talking about the, the big three automakers possibly going under, and they won't completely dry up and blow away, and not every job will be lost. We're talking about tens of thousands of jobs there just from those three companies. Okay, We're also talking about the fact that there's, there's little companies and big companies all over this country right now either going into bankruptcy or scaling back production and laying off workers. We're talking millions of people that are going to be let go of their jobs in the next year. That will make a bad situation worse. The only good news there is if you have money and if you have assets and if you have income, we're watching the biggest sale on real property that's ever happened in the history of America. You're going to be able to get values and deals in the next 12 months like you've never seen before. Which means if you find one in December and you think that the bank wants too much for it, you must be willing to walk away from the deal. And this is not an investment show, okay? Not not in the typical sense. I'm not talking about how to buy properties to flip, because flipping properties right now is a bad business. It's just, I mean, there's people that can do it at any time, up, down, left, right, doesn't matter what the economy's doing. They know exactly how to buy the right property, exactly how to stage it, and exactly how to flip it and make a profit and do it quickly, okay? There are people that can do it. So if you're one of them and you're going, bullshit, relax. I understand that you, but that's not the core of this audience. All right, and I'm not talking about finding ten properties and putting tenants in them. That's not my show. That's another business model. There's people that know how to do that. That's not what I do either, and it's not what I talk about here. This show's about eventually setting yourself up with a lifestyle that allows you to live a really good life on a very significantly reduced income from whatever you you make today, or if what you make today is very, kind of a low income, to figure out how to leverage that low income to where you can live the life you want to live anyway. To do it as quickly as possible and to a point where you can get into a debt-free state, where if we ever do have a major meltdown of this country where we have the Great Depression reenacted and it goes on for 20 years, you don't even care. That's what this is about. And part of that is trying to find rural property that has the ability to be turned into a homestead for you. Something that can produce food. All right, Something that provides for you instead of you provide for it. 5, 10, 20 acres. Whatever it is that you really want and whatever it is that you really think you need. Depending on the size of your family and how much effort you want to put into the land and how much return you want back from it. All right, To find that land at a value price where you can pay it off in 5 to 10 years, not 30. 
to do what's ever necessary to pay that mortgage down, even if you're paying a mortgage that you live in your primary residence, you're paying just your base mortgage payment. Eventually, you sell that property, pull some equity out of it. If you live in a city where equity, you know, building happens over 10 years, and even with a crappy market over 10 years, real estate produces profit for people, right? So at the end of that, you have a chunk of change, you have whatever you save from your investments, you've scaled back your lifestyle, and now you can relocate out to the country. Some people say, I don't want to relocate to the country. Fine, then you run the same process in the city. Then you then you actually have an advantage to a degree because instead of running two households, you run one. Or you say, I'm already ready to move to the country. I already have an income potential out in the country. I work from home, I telecommute, whatever it is, I can find a job there. Then you also have an advantage. So it's for any of those three scenarios that I'm talking about today. It's finding a property that can be turned into a homestead that you can buy at an extreme value. But being willing to walk away from the deal. Let me tell you a couple traps that are out there so you don't get into them. If you type in how to find a foreclosure on Google, you'll find a massive amount of listings. And most of those results will take you to places that are selling lists of foreclosed properties. You have to ask yourself a question. If you're a bank and you're sitting on a bad mortgage, do you really want to restrict the information from somebody who might buy it from you? So simply by contacting banks directly and saying, I want foreclosure properties in county whatever, all right, or a group of counties, I'm looking for a remote rural piece of property in one of these areas, and you find your location first, you know where you're looking. If they have any, trust me, they'll tell you where they're at. It's not hidden information, okay? And a lot of these services that, that put out real-time foreclosure listings, they're they in touch with all the banks, they get them out there quick so you can jump on a deal when it happens. Those services actually have a purpose when the real estate market is booming and bumping and grinding and you're an investor and you want to flip properties because there's competition for the good deals. There's not a lot of competition for the good deals right now. You can find a good deal. You can make an offer that makes it a great deal. And if they don't take it, you can walk away from it. That's the most important piece of this puzzle. All right, Understanding that you can walk away from it. The other thing you can do is find a good real estate agent in that area they have access to foreclosed properties. All right? So that's another thing that you can do. So between directly contacting banks yourself and finding a good agent, especially an agent that specializes in foreclosures, and I don't know if you've paid attention right now, but a lot of these agents out there, especially in smaller communities, ain't real busy right now. All right? Another thing that you need to do if you want to be seriously taken in the foreclosure market is you need to go out, and unless you're a cash buyer that's ready to pay cash for a property, you need to go get pre-approved for a second mortgage to buy your investment property in advance. You need to do that as soon as possible. You need to contact one or two different banks today. Even if you got good credit, those odds are that one bank or another might turn you down. If you have some cash assets, and I hope you do, or you're not getting a mortgage right now, you don't have some cash reserves. Wherever bank you keep that money in, that's probably the best place to go to get pre-approved for a mortgage. Because there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, pay, pay attention again. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, uh, HUD, government-owned foreclosures. The only way you can even bid on those, all right, is to be pre-approved. 
So you have to get pre-approved. That's what you should do when you're shopping for property anyway. Because a real estate agent, when you give them a letter of pre-approval from a banking institution that specifies the amount of money that they're willing to give you, at the day that the letter's written, and there's no guarantee because you could go into bankruptcy the next day. You could have hidden it well. But that makes a real estate agent feel like my time is being well spent. You tell them exactly what you're looking for. You tell them when they find it and when they can, you can make a good offer. You're going to be willing to act. And that agent's going to work hard for you. Right now, they're going to work harder for you than normal because clients are few and far between. Property's not being sold at a high rate. Now, here's the scenario I want to paint for you. You go out today and you get pre-approved. You find out how much you can afford to buy. You start narrowing down the part of the country that you want to live in. And I'll give you some ideas about picking a place if you're going to do a two-household situation in just a second. You find a place. You go out there and it's gorgeous. It's an old farm homestead. It has huge, beautiful, hard-matched trees and tree lines. It's got a nice, beautiful field. You see deer and turkeys when you're there viewing it. It looks like Norman Rockwell. It needs some repairs, but overall it's beautiful. And you look at it and you just know this is a place I could be happy for the rest of my life. This is a place I would be happy to call home. I'm preparing you now. You have to be willing to walk away from that property if you cannot get the payment terms and the price and the situation that makes sense for you. You cannot convince yourself because of emotion that, oh, I can afford $100 more than I originally set in my budget. Because even if you have the money to pull from somewhere else, you had it assigned to a place for a reason. And primarily, it was probably assigned to a place where you could save extra money. Brings me to another point. You got time here. Don't feel rushed. Now, you can start shopping. It makes sense to go ahead and get pre approved. See if there's anything you need to do to get approval. Like, they say, no, we're not going to pre approve you right now. What do I need to do to become a good risk for you? What can I do to make this work? Ask, they'll tell you. Banks want to loan money right now. They have tighter restrictions in what they're allowed to do, but they want to loan money because if they don't, they don't make any money. All right? They've got two problems. They've got to loan money and they've got to get rid of property. You're coming in as a solution to that. That's how you present yourself. You know, even while you're in the pre-approval profit pre-approval process. Talk to a few local agents, get on the phone, call some people that, that seem like they uh, have been in the business for a while in that area. Start pre-interviewing them, telling them that you're going through the pre-interview process with the bank. You're also starting to screen some agents. You don't really want them to do a lot right now. You just want to get a feel for what their philosophy is. Would they be willing to work with you? What type of property you're going to be looking for? Do they think that you've even picked a good area to look? And tell them to be honest. Just be honest with me, you know. Do you think that maybe I'm looking in a good area with what I, what I have in mind. Do I need to be looking further north, further south, east, west, whatever? Even if it's an area they don't cover. Most of them will tell you because they realize that when you're that specific with what you're looking for, if they're not going to be able to find it for you, you're not going to deal with them. Okay, You're not going to buy from them. They're never going to make you happy. So they want to sort their potential clients quickly, even in a downtime. If they sound desperate, you know, be polite, get off the phone, don't call them back. If they sound like they'll just do anything you want, 
with no questions asked, please give me some business, that's not an agent that you want on your side. You want an agent with some toughness because when you go into negotiation, they're going to help you with that. So the whole thing, you can get started right now and start looking because shopping's free. Just understand if it's January or February next year and you think this is the greatest deal in the world, but the numbers don't work for you, let it go. Odds are that you'll be able to come back in March and it'll still be there. Now, people do come in and and buy property. The the, the market has not gone away to zero where nobody's buying anything. But odds are, if you don't think it's a good deal, another investor's not going to think it's a good deal. Since you're looking at buying it for yourself, odds are that you're going to be willing to pay a little more for it than somebody that wants to put a tenant in it or flip it. That's generally why the guys that do that procedure well, either one of those procedures well, get into less trouble than people that are buying for a place to live or own. Alright? Because they are not as emotionally attached. We're talking about a very emotional thing right now. Finding a place you can spend the rest of your life in. Alright? Or spend a significant portion of your life in. A place that's going to provide for you. So you, you have to divorce yourself from the emotion. And I know I'm repeating myself there, but it's because I've been there and I know. I know when you're standing and you're looking at a place and going, oh my God, I have to have this. And I know that that's when you have to stiffen. You have to look at it like a banker yourself and say, do the numbers make sense and can we afford this property? And if we cannot afford it, then we make an offer that would allow us to afford it. We leave that offer on the table and we walk away from the table and that party that's selling is free to contact us whenever they want. If it's a you know $10,000 lower offer on a $80,000 property, it's not going to take that lender long to figure out, well, I'm in the hole for this thing at least $700 a month. So if I'm sitting on it five months from now, that's $3,500 of the 10 right there. You see, and they start to, you know, these guys do math pretty good. That's why, well, at least we hope they do. Maybe while they're in trouble is they've gotten some people that can't do math into these banks. You'd think so when they're losing billions of dollars. But in general, the people that handle this type of transaction, they're pretty good at figuring out what's a good deal for them. And they're pretty good at going, you know what? No one else is going to show up anytime soon, and we need to off this thing off our books. So don't be afraid to make multiple offers like that. Don't be afraid to work with an agent. Don't try to do this all yourself. The agent, as a buyer, costs you nothing. As a seller, I can make a good case for trying to sell a property without an agent and keeping an extra 3 to 6% of your property. If you're talking a $200,000 home, you sell it without an agent, you know, you're talking twelve grand off a full-service agent you get to put in your pocket. So I get why you might want to sell a property without an agent. As a buyer, though, you have zero to lose and everything to gain by working with a good quality agent. Every property I've ever purchased, I've worked with an agent. And to be honest, every property I've ever sold, I've worked with an agent to sell. Uh, there was one that I had to because I was traveling and I wasn't there. I probably would have sold that property individually. But in general, by interviewing two or three agents, it's always been to my advantage to use one buying and selling, but definitely buying. Let's just talk a little bit about the three scenarios that I mentioned. I'll talk about the simpler scenarios first because they're just easier to manage. Scenario one, you want to continue to work and live in the basic area that you're in right now. You're simply looking for a place that's a little bit more remote. 
a little less developed and has good potential to not be overdeveloped. Uh, you want to maybe live a little further outside of the suburbs than most people that work where you do now. You're willing to drive a little bit further, all that good stuff. That's a pretty easy proposition because it's just like buying any other property. And I want to also point out today that while I'm talking a lot about finding foreclosures, there's a lot of property for sale right now uh, that's, that's a good deal in its own right that's not in foreclosure. So don't, don't hesitate to look at regular listings as well. So if you're in that scenario, I mean, what you really need to think about are a few things. One, if taxes are low now, what direction is the urban sprawl heading and how long will it be before some county or city government annexes this area and jacks up my property taxes for services that I don't want or need? That's something you really have to consider in those types of properties. Uh, if you're a real survival mental mentality where you think that there could be a point where society really melts down and that's why you listen to my show, then that scenario may not be best for you because you're a little bit too close still to the urban centers that could create riots and people looking to steal from others and things like that. That said, in most urban environments, especially if you're not, the Northeast is probably the hardest place to do this. Outside of the Northeastern United States, you can probably find a place if you're willing to drive 40 or 50 miles uh, to work every day, which is a long commute, but for some people, I mean, I do it every day. Uh, If you're willing to do that, you can probably find a place that's going to be all right. The other scenario is moving out to the country and living out there. Now what you have to do is think about things like how often do you want to come back to where you live today? Do you have family or relations there? How important is that to you? How long of a commute do you want it to be? Do you want to have to rely on air travel or do you want to be able to drive? Those are your biggest concerns in that scenario. Either one of those scenarios, you're buying a house to live in. So it's not that complex and there's a lot less to think about. The scenario that many people that live in the city today are doing is exactly what I've done, which is I bought a property, it's about five hours away from me. And I go up there about every other month, and I keep doing things to improve the land and improve the property so that one day when I'm done with my life here in the city and I'm ready to relocate out into the country, I have a property that's either paid for or almost paid for that's been set up for my lifestyle that I want, and I'm kind of getting a head start on that escape. The only way that you can do that is to live below your means. I know that sounds obvious, but there's so many people that are in deep shit right now. There's so many people that have created this opportunity for you by their own stupidity that have purchased properties and second homes that they couldn't afford even if they didn't have their first home, but they got them with interest-only loans and all this other hoopla and crap. So you're going to have to buy two houses that are both less than you could afford to be able to afford two houses. Duh, right? Obvious, but frankly, you have to be willing to commit to that. Most of the people that live in the Arlington, Mansfield, Texas area where I live that earn the income level that I that I earn live in houses that are three to four times as expensive as where I live. That's why I can buy a second home. And if you're sitting here going, well, you know, our household income is $60,000 with two parents working, Jack, and we can't afford that, then you have to figure out what you can afford. You have to figure out what makes sense for you. Is it then to rent while you buy a second home that's somewhere out in the country? If your income's only 60000 between two people in the city, do you need to figure out how you can earn more money? I mean, these are personal decisions. You know, I listen to Dave Ramsey a lot. He'll just say, well, if you're only making 60000 with two adults working in the house, you guys just 
need to go out, take a second job, make more money. Well, I think that's asinine to, to just mouth off to people that way. And, and I do respect Dave, and I've talked about him before, and I think he gives a lot of good advice. But that advice is so blanket, all right? They, he doesn't know why that's your income level. He doesn't know the decisions you've made as an individual that are that are forcing your income down. Sometimes it's just one parent staying home and homeschooling. That usually comes out, and Dave usually takes that and goes, oh, okay. All right, but there could be a, a myriad of, of other reasons. Maybe where you live, with the skill set you have, there's just not that much opportunity, and you need to improve your skill set. Maybe you don't have the means to improve. I, I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know your personal lives, but what I'm telling you is there is always a way. And people that succeed in getting the life they want, don't worry about what can't be done or what they can't do or what's impossible. They figure out what they can do. And maybe what you can do is you just stay put, work your ass off, cut your expenses to the bone, and start piling up cash. Maybe that's all you can do. right? So if, if you're listening to this and going, well, I can't do these other things, I don't have the ability, please understand your number one survival tool, the most valuable survival thing you have is your mind. And by figuring out what you can do, you can start to reshape and rebuild your life. Maybe what you do is go, you know what, this little house I live in right here with with 20, you know, 0.25 acres of land or 0.15 acres of land, I have a job, I can pay my bills every day, I'm spending more money than I have to, I can start saving some money and I can turn my backyard, I can put a garden in, I can put a greenhouse in, I can improve the efficiency of my electricity, I can put a solar system in over time, I can do all these things. And 10 years from now, my property is going to have appreciated highly in value and I can just do simple real estate arbitrage, I can sell this off after the market's recovered, and then I can take all that cash and put it into a new property out in the country. All right. So it's not always just finding that piece of real estate. So I, I wanted to break away from the main theme for a second to make sure that anybody that's out there going, well, I can't do it this way, starts to think, what can I do? So whenever I say that in any show and I'm like, well, you could do this or you could do that, and you go, well, I can't do that, then say to yourself, what can I do? For the same problem. Okay, this is a solution to a problem. I can't make that my solution. What is my solution? If you keep doing that, you'll keep moving forward, and you'll figure out how to get what you really want. Now, on the two-property situation, if you have the financial means to do it, and I know there's people out there, based on some of my feedback from you, that do and are working on doing it right now. Again, the first thing is, if you live in a house... And then this is a problem right now if you're already in this situation. It's hard to sell. If you live in a house that it takes away all of the money you can budget for real estate, your only solution would be to sell that house, downsize in your payment, right, and then find a second place that, that makes up the difference. Hopefully you're not in that situation right now because it's going to eliminate the potential for you to take advantage of the situation we're in today, which is why it's always a good practice to buy less than you can afford. When your bank comes back to you and goes, you're pre-approved for $400,000, go, great, I'm looking for a $150,000 house. And you go, well, I can't find a $150,000 house where I live. Again, figure out your own solution. I'm giving you kind of my personal numbers that I was told. 
All right, and kind of where I thought. And I ended up buying a house for 120. And I had people tell me, you can't buy a three bedroom, two bath, home office, two living area, brick and vinyl home in Arlington, Texas today. This was back in 2003. For $150,000, you're out of your mind. They're, they don't sell for that. The market rate's not that. I found one. First house I walked into. Found it on the internet. Almost didn't look at it because it was listed as a 3-2 and I needed a home office. Listing didn't include a home office. My wife said, I think we need to look at this house. I trusted her instincts. I walked in, looked at it, walked out the backyard, went, gee, this is almost a half of an acre of land in the middle of Arlington. They want $140,000 for it. And I had just come from northeastern uh, United States, from Pennsylvania, where a property like that would have been astronomically priced. And I'm like, we'll give them one for you. My agent goes, no, no, we won't. No, this property's been on the market for six months. We'll make an offer at uh, $120,000. I went, $120,000? will never take it. She goes, they'll take it. All right, this is why you have a good agent. We made the offer. They they kicked back a couple times, and she just went, they haven't sold it for 180 days. I know you want it, and this is where I you know, learned you got to be willing to walk away. So they, they'll take it. We'll get an appraisal done, and we'll say, okay, now, you know, here's the appraised value. Because she said it's not, based on what, some things that have gone on in the neighborhood recently, it's not going to appraise at their listed price anyway. And it appraised at just a few thousand over the 120 because of some seller concessions that had been made that I would have never known about. And then they just finally said, you know what, we've already bought a second house, fine, we'll take 120 for it. They'd been in the house for 12 years, they had equity. So they were still going to get cash out at the 120 price point, and they hadn't sold their house yet, and they were in a jam. So there's always deals if you're creative. Now, when it comes to finding that second property, you have to think the same way. And then the second property, since you're not going to be living there full-time, is generally a place where you can look at some things that need to be done to repair the property and say, I can live with that for now, especially if they're things that you can physically do yourself. My biggest thing is five hours maximum driving time away from your property. Mine's right at five, and it's almost too far. Now, you may be able to do six. Again, you have to make up your own mind. But five hours pushes it. If it was a three-and-a-half-hour drive for us, it would be much better. We would go much more often. It would be much further along in the process. I know it doesn't seem like a big difference. It's only an hour and a half, three hours round trip. It is a big difference. We have dogs. We have cats. We have a son. All these things that have to be taken care of every time we leave. There's an expense with going. Everything that takes the you know pushes the time further up the the, the the timetable makes the expenses and the inconveniences and everything else go up. I'll put it to you this way. If it was a three-hour drive, I could on a Saturday drive up, leave it. Oh, I don't know. I'll get up early. I can leave at 5 o'clock in the morning, get there at 8. I could work from 8 till about 3 o'clock doing things on the property, turn around, come home, be home by 6 o'clock. It ain't much different than going to work every day. I could do that on a Saturday with three hours. Five hours just kind of puts that whole idea out of the window. By the time I drive five hours to a place, I don't even feel like working when I get there. You know, so I'll do a little bit. You've got to stay overnight, at least one night. If you, if you come home the next day, if you, if you work through most of the day, then by the time you get home, it's late at night, and then you've got to go back to work the next day, you start to see how that last couple hours makes a difference. You start pushing six, seven hours, it's an issue. The next thing you're going to have to realize, if you're not going to live there full-time, you need to pick a place that has a highly unlikely uh, situation of being you know, burglarized, vandalized when you're not there. You need to probably keep 
just a minimal assortment of items and, and, and things there that you need when you go stay. Probably a good idea to stockpile food and water so if you ever have to get out of Dodge, that's taken care of and there for you. All right, So that makes a lot of sense. That kind of stuff needs to be hidden and cached up in your, your survival retreat uh, so it's not available to somebody that does happen to break in. It probably does not make sense if you're going to do the two-home approach to buy something that's on 100 acres of land sitting in the dead center of it because it's going to be easier for somebody to go in there and steal from you and not be seen. It probably makes sense to buy something that's spread out, but you have good, quality neighbors around you. Talk to some of the people that live there before you purchase the home. While you're looking at it, say, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about that? What's the, you know, do you have any crime problems around here? Vandalism, things like that. You know, Talk to some of your, your soon-to-be neighbors if you do make the offer. Say, hey, look, I'd be willing to throw you 50 bucks a month and a set of keys to my house. Would you be willing to go by once a week, check on the place, call me if anything's wrong, and let me know. And just keep an eye on things. Let me know if I need to come up and cut the grass because it's growing a little too fast, things like that. See if you can find a friend, a point of contact before you make the purchase. Or another aspect that can be done is if you can put somebody in there as a tenant. Uh, I did it with a family member. I've mixed emotions. One, it was easy because of a family member. Two, they always paid on time because I made sure they always paid on time. But but the other aspect is I don't feel they really took care of the property as well as a, as a private tenant would have. Somebody I didn't even know I think would have done a better job of taking care of the property. I think after about a year living there, they started to take for granted that it was their uncle that owned the place. And they were a little less you know, likely to take care of the place. But you know, the, the trade-off was the, the biggest damage to the place was the carpeting because they had dogs and they didn't really do a good job of keeping the mud out of the house. I was going to replace the carpet anyway because it was kind of cheap carpet. It wasn't old. It was just cheap. And we wanted to put hardwood floors in, which we're doing now anyway. And during that three years, I had my mortgage paid 100%. So I had the first three years of a 20-year mortgage paid for by somebody else. And it's still a very low payment, very low taxes, all that good stuff. So my, I guess my point is to think creatively and that this type of thing is possible even with a moderate income. And we actually made a lot less money back when we made this purchase than we do today. So we weren't making a huge amount of money. In fact, I'll tell you, I guess we were probably making household income was was well under $100,000. We had two properties. People said that was risky. But we had two properties that we could make payments on for six months if we both lost our jobs. We had two properties that we had bought at such a price that if we ever had to sell one, we could sell it instantly. We had diversified our risk. If we ever had to make a hard decision and say one of these is going into foreclosure, we could have moved into the other one. So the, the whole situation was far less risky than a lot of people from the outside looking in would say it was. And some of these people are telling us how risky it was. We're looking at them and going, well, you just bought a $400,000 house. All right, I bought a $120,000 house and an $80,000 house. So I have $200,000 loaned against two properties. You have $400,000 loaned against one. And you make less money than me. So, you know, again, don't always think that just because something's creative that it's a risk. There's risk in everything that you do. When you get up in the morning, walk outside your door, put your socks, shoes, clothes on, and go to work and drive your car, you're taking a risk. So you can't live life risk-free, but you can mitigate your risk by keeping your standard of living well below your standard of income. That gives you lots of surplus income to save. And, again, I don't care what your income bracket is, there's some surplus there if you work hard enough to find it and put it away.
Uh, on remote property, the other things that you really need to look at, it would really suck to move way out in the country and go, I got my great place. And you pay on it for five or ten years, uh, dual payments to two places. You're up there. You're making improvements. You get it perfect. It's ready to move into. You've got some beds prepared for gardening. you got everything going on. It is your dream home. You sell your house. You cash in. You take your equity. You pay down that mortgage on the second house. Maybe you pay it down to zero. You owe no money on your house at all. All you have are taxes and insurance. Your taxes are cheap. You're out in rural, unincorporated land. And then a nearby town decides to annex your town or your area, make it part of the city, and your taxes go way up through two, three, four times what you had budgeted for. So you need to really look at, do the surrounding towns have a history of doing things like that? How far out are you? How many people live there? What's the population density? Any town making that decision is going to go, what's our, what's our reward for doing this? When they annex you, they have to provide you services. If the tax revenue won't be higher than the cost of providing services, they generally won't do it. So what's your population growth in the area that you're buying? Are there any land restrictions? One of the big attractive things for us is even though we were very close to town, uh, the property that we bought was in a community with very few restrictions, but one was no more than one occupied structure per five acres. So that kept the density of population down. That was good because, one, we didn't want the population density. We wanted to be able to walk and say hello to our neighbors, go to church with them, do all that good stuff, right? We want to be able to drive down into town whenever we wanted to, but we wanted to be far enough away where you couldn't find our house unless you knew where to look for it. And we didn't want the city of Hot Springs to grab our unincorporated property, call it incorporated, and throw our taxes up five or six times what they are. And folks, right now they're under $400 a year to give you an idea what I'm talking about here. So we looked for that type of property, and that's exactly what we found. So that's one of the really big things that gets overlooked. Now, a little bit on finding foreclosures. Again, contacting banks. I'll put some links uh, to three of the biggest banks in America today where you can go view foreclosure listings for free. You can see the property, the address, and the price. Some of the banks have a lot of details. Some have very little. One of your great tools, though, to start evaluating rural properties is pick a state that you want to look in. Find some properties. If something looks like maybe you'd be interested in it, take the address, go to Google Maps, map the address, switch to the satellite view, look at the property surrounding it. You'll probably be able to look just in the satellite view and be able to tell where the, the, the property boundaries are around that house. You can look at the size of the house, and in your head you can probably calculate pretty easily, that's about an acre, that's about a half an acre, that's a tiny lot I'm not interested all right, so putting those tool tools together, and you, you probably have been able to look up property before, maybe not foreclosed property. You've probably used Google Maps, but a lot of people have never put the fact that you can put the two of those together, switch to a sat view, look for fields and, and hedgerows and things like that, fence lines and other things, and determine roughly the size of the property, how it lays out, what's behind it, what's in front of it, how far is it from the city, all these different things. It's a free tool. Go use it. And, again, I can't reemphasize enough finding an agent that typically works with clients buying foreclosures. They're probably not real busy right now. You'd think they would be because they have a huge surplus of inventory, but the investors have pulled back a lot because it's not easy to flip a property. And the rental market should probably boom soon, but it hasn't really started to yet. 
And the reason the rental market's going to boom is because people can't buy, so they only have one other choice, rent. you got to live somewhere. Uh, but especially these rural communities, you know, the population's not growing. But the volume of homes that are foreclosed is. So they're in you know tighter situations, bigger jams. Look for little banks. Find little banks in these situations, right? Find a bank that has 20 branches in, in a rural area of a state. It's like a, that little rural area's bank. Phone them up and just say, hey, can I talk to anybody there about getting uh, listings of properties you guys have in foreclosure? I'm looking to buy in your area, and I thought I'd check with you. Just make that phone call. Don't don't buy a list for a hundred dollars from some jackass that just got that information by doing that. That put it in a computerized form. The information's there. It's available for free with a couple phone calls. Long distance is cheap. If you have a cell phone, it's probably free. So call these local banks and contact the tax offices in these counties too, and say, hey, can I get a listing of the properties that are currently uh, in danger of going to tax auction or already are in tax auction and things like that. Most of those little townships will be willing to do that. And above all, before you really start to look in an area hard, take a trip there. Take a mini vacation. Go rent a hotel room for two days. Drive around the town. Don't do all the tourist crap. Go eat in local diners. Talk to local people. And go, you know, go over a weekend. And if you're, you know, if you're a Methodist, find a Methodist church and just show up there. No one's going to ask you for your membership card at church. Right? If you're a Baptist, go to a Baptist church. If you're an Episcopalian, go to an Episcopal church. You know, I didn't go to any church. I don't really go to church. But uh, if I did, if that was important to me, I would take that step. Whatever's important to you, whatever kind of, if you like to go to bars, go to some of the local bars that you know those evenings. Dress the wife up, dress the husband up, whatever side you're on. Take them out and, and enjoy the local life. If you like restaurants, go to local restaurants, not chains. Right? If there's like a little town area, walk through it, talk to people. Just talk. If you get into a place where you can't talk to people, it's probably not where you want to live anyway. But learn what the area is like and ask questions like, you know, if you, if you've lived here your whole life, right? Well, yeah. Well, if you could, you know, you won the lottery and, you know, would you stay here? Well, yeah, I'd stay here. Where would you look to buy property around here if you could buy whatever you want? I'd go up there because. I mean, just have conversations with people. Some people have a hard time just starting a conversation. It's not that hard. It starts with hello. That'll give you a lot of intrinsic knowledge of the area more than an agent will give you because an agent wants to sell to you. More than a bank will give you because the bank wants to sell to you. Right? More than a tax office will give you because they don't care and they're government jobs. Right? They show up and hold a desk down. Talk to normal people walking around. Talk to people in the shops. Talk to people in stores. Have conversations and you'll start to learn the area. And that'll help you decide whether it's the right area for you or not. And uh, hopefully today's been a good show. I'm going to kind of wrap things up there. Remember, I still need some people sending me some entries. i got one more of those tactical Christmas stockings to give away. Uh, the code word is SOE Tactical Gear. Again, if today wasn't your kind of show, tune in tomorrow. I'm going to talk about something completely different, I promise you. Uh, more of a practical, down-to-earth, day-to-day survival subject. Not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to show up and find out. Please come to the blog. Give me feedback. Tell me what I can do to make the show better. Tell me subjects that you'd like me to do. Most of my shows come from suggestions from the audience. If you want to send me an email direct, that can be sent to jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com. And please get involved in our forum. We have a very active forum discussing every subject of modern survivalism, from the tactical to the practical. That is at thesurvivalpodcast.com forward slash forum. 
And uh, again, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.